Hallelujah. Are you ready? All right. Well, I'm not going to do anything that special. I've done it a hundred times. I'm going to answer some questions today. And uh, I was getting ready for the service, and I had my books, and they're still all over the table. And uh, it just felt like uh, question uh, and answers. I know that we have lots of changes that are going on, and hopefully we'll get some of those addressed. But before I do anything, I want to preface something about who I am. You may think I'm just from Bakkins. You may think I'm just one of ordinary people. I'm not ordinary. First Peter 5.1 says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who also am an elder, and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the sheep of God, which is among you, taking, taking. Somebody say taking. I have a right to do that, the oversight thereof, not by constraint or by force, but willingly, not for filthy lucre's sake, but for of a ready mind, neither being lords over God's heritage, but being an example to the flock. And that when the chief shepherd shall appear, I shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So, Understand that it amazes me. I, I am, I'm just, have you ever been overwhelmed by just, yes. thank you. <laughs> Most of you attend here every Wednesday morning. I mean, every Sunday morning. And you acknowledge me. Hi, Pastor. How you doing, Pastor Pete? How you doing, Pastor Pete? And you believe that I hear from God. Or you wouldn't show up. But then when something doesn't appease your emotional state or your personal likes and dislikes, you become disgruntled. You... Uh, well, I don't like this and I don't like that. I didn't ask you whether you like Sunday's message or if I should preach it or not because it's out of your scope. Amen. I am to take leadership of this congregation. And I should do it and I should have those that are under me should be willfully submitted to that call. So, from this point on, I don't want to agitate you, but I'm not going to check with you what I'm going to preach this Sunday. I'm not going to do it. And I'm not going to check with you what color I may turn those lights into. If those lights are throwing a glitch in your spiritual unification with me as your shepherd, then I encourage you, sit down with me and tell me that you're on your way out. But what I do not expect from this point on is that sheep take their disgruntlement that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God and share it with other people. It really does not accomplish anything except when you give somebody else an ear. Now, none of you have ever asked me, God, did God tell you to change that pastor? No. But he didn't tell me what color notebooks to use either. He didn't tell me to wear a tie or not to wear a tie. Now, if he would intervene and say, don't wear a tie this uh, week, I want to do, I say, okay, hey, I'm not wearing a tie. But as people that are to follow, Moses did not answer to Israel. They answered to God. Amen. And I expect people that have been saved over two days to understand that there has to be a head yes. of something. Amen. And that we 
have to go somewhere. And that I'm not going to stay the same, and I'm not going to end up dying, and I'm not going to end up leaving a generation behind. Now, the reason that a lot of this stuff happens is because Christians don't have enough love to sacrifice. The people, they're just selfish. They want everything the way they like it. Sorry, that's not the way life is. Life is filled with sacrifices. You know, Jesus didn't invite any of the disciples into the ship to stay dry and to take a nap except himself. But none of them complained and abandoned ship. I could see him changing the colors in the church and ended up saying, will thou also leaveth me? Yeah. Now I'm saying this and I expect to say it one time and I don't ever expect your emotions and your indifferences with the color of a wall or how we're doing something that means nothing to get into your crawl that you empower it so much that you put words behind it that seek to rally somebody to agree with you. Your words are to produce unity. Could I get an amen? Now, that subject is not going to be brought up anymore. I am at the end of carnality and foolishness. I'm at the end of it. I'm done with it. You're better than that. And to let the devil and yourself use you. I, I attended one church all my life. All my, one church. Never had a disagreement with my pastor. Never had one word. He told me, this is what we're going to do. This is what I want you to do. You go out there and you uh, vacuum the pews. You clean the toilet. You, whatever I did, whatever he told me to do, I did. It never, ever entered my mind to rebel against somebody that was God called to watch for my soul and that I would vex them in doing it. Yeah. I'm just done. Like a turkey. I'm done. I don't expect this to go on anymore. It's, it's not going to happen. It's done. Grow up. Amen. Just grow up. Suck it up. And go on with life. If you used all the words that you used to complain about the changes that had taken place, you'd have won 10,000 people to Jesus. But you might not have won anybody. In fact, complaining about it might have drove people away. Now, so I said that to get your attention so that you understand change has happened. Now, in the last three months since change has taken place, the demographics of our membership has changed. It's now running from right into the mid-30s, where it used to run somewhere between 50 and my age. How old are you? Old enough. Now, the demographics have changed. Because we are not being the way we used to be. And listen, the future is not me. The future is the generation that is coming up. And that has to impact the world. And so it's going to look entirely different. And if all we want is the way that we want it, everybody has to be old. You know what? Your grandkids have come to your house for a little while, but when you get too old, they ain't showing up. That's why my son-in-law and my daughter, the old Phyllis and I's house at our birthdays and Mother and Father's Day. That's how old we get. And I constantly keep doing things that young people do, not what old people do. Amen. Quit being old, quit being like you used to, and dare to believe God for some type of change and resurrection in you. Good, I get an amen. You're right. Now, 
<clears throat> now, so we're going to open up tonight. I usually just say, let's talk about these things. But tonight, I'm going to let you ask me anything you want. Anything you want, so fly your hands right up. Because let's just throw it out here on the carpet. And uh, let's just let, let the home team get, get to have a voice. I think they're all afraid now. <laughs> Don't be afraid. No, just ask whatever ever you want. Uh, you know, number one question here, did Adam have a belly button? I don't know if he did, God would have. Wait a minute, I can't, oh, okay. <laughs> you can't see it unless you wave it. <laughs> um, I think I actually wrote it down on your piece of paper. Um, Uh, basically, if um, if heaven, no state sin, is so perfect, um, how did sin get in and pretty much drag Satan down from where he was to sin? Now, re repeat that about... Did you hear that? Huh? Oh, this question. Uh, how did sin get into heaven? Yeah, is that the one? Was. Okay. Because man had access to the presence of God. We know that there is a holy of holies in the heavens. We know that Jesus cleansed those holies of holies with his shed blood. We also know that even man's relationship and God's relationship with man was severed, and that was from heaven. So wherever sin perpetrated that man had access to it affected it affected God and Adam in the garden and it affected Adam's uh, access to heaven now we would probably ask the question well how did Satan sin because it was in him angels have the right to make a decision well let's say this they can make a decision but they have no right because they can see the end from the beginning. And so when he sinned, there is no repentance for Satan because he willfully knew the full graphic outcome of his transgression. Adam did not. Adam was tempted. Yes, he sinned, but he could not see the total ramifications because he didn't understand the depth that thou shalt die. And so he was limited in what he transgressed in. And Eve was just deceived. Eve was really, yes, what she did was transgression, but she fell under the demise of deception. Adam had more knowledge than her. And so Adam transgressed, Eve was deceived. And uh, you'll find that in 2 Timothy. Uh, but so... Angels have the right to make a decision, but they shouldn't make it because there is no repentance. And so every angel could have invoked that same desire because a third of the angels followed the devil. So that tells you that every angel in heaven could have made that decision. But only Satan and a third of them made it. Should they have made it? No, but they did. So every angel could have made it. So it's in angelic beings that have the ability to make a choice, but they should not make choices that create sin. So... Pastor, he has another question to go, to go okay. along with that. So are you saying... Uh, sin was always present from the beginning the potential of sin is always present whenever there is the option of choice if you took away choice from man then man could never sin he would not be a free will agent if you took away choice from angels they would be robotic but they serve God out of a decision. Man serves God 
or rebels against God out of decision. So sin, the potential of it, exists in anything that has a free will. Every, any place that there is a choice, sin can be born. <laughs> Endless hallelujah. Okay, this isn't for me, first of all. Um, I've heard many, many, I've heard both ways. If somebody commits suicide, do they go to heaven? Do they go to hell? How is that determined? I've heard it both ways, but I know what, I wonder what the Bible says and what you say about it. Well, number one, I would never make a call on the last few seconds of anybody's life. People would say, well, you know, they willfully uh, took their life. I find it hard to believe that any person would willfully take their life. But I could believe that a confused person. And confusion brings about every evil work. I could believe someone disappointed, discouraged, brokenhearted could take their life. But not someone that is sound of mind. So when somebody takes their life, you know, if somebody would take their life and as they were taking it, say Jesus. Just say Jesus. God knows the thought and intent of every thought before it's ever expressed. God would follow that thought back and find out what the man meant when he said Jesus. It might mean a million things that you don't think it means. But God would get to the root of it. So when that guy said, Jesus, it might have meant, have mercy on me. I have no hope, no place to turn. But I know that you could help me. It might be that. Would Jesus save that man? God's able to do above and beyond all we ask or think. I am not into making last-second calls on people because we never know the extent of the mercy of God. So I wouldn't say people went to heaven or people went to hell. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. So uh, I think that people can't even on their way out, Chuck, mention the name of Jesus, and God would know what he meant. So we would not, but God would. So I leave those last I got a good few question. segments of time in his hand. Yes, Phyllis. Yeah, Abraham paid uh, tithes to Melchizedek. Melchizedek had no beginning and no end. Explain that. Melchizedek was the pre-existence of Jesus Christ. Jesus made appearances in the Old Covenant. And uh, it's a pre-existence uh, to prove Jesus' uh, existence. And so he did make a pre uh, prepared or interventions in uh, people's lives. Then we know that he was a form of Old Testament Christ because in Hebrews, the seventh chapter, it speaks that Jesus had no beginning and no end and that he had a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. So we know that Jesus was a pre-existent being in, in the beginning, uh, the Word was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word always existed, and it was created. Everything that we see was created by the Word. And so Abraham paid that tenth. Sometimes we think that Abraham only paid it once. No, Melchizedek knew Abraham. And he was coming to bring the bread and the wine to establish or call to remembrance a covenant that these men were involved in with God. And so when Abraham paid tithe, pays tithes, he's done it in the past. But he's also doing it again because he is a perpetual witness of the work of God. So Melchizedek is being supported by the tithe of Abraham as well as I would perceive the tithe of everybody in Abraham's camp. Because Abraham lived by faith and all of his men that followed him 
lived and believed in that faith. Now, the tenth, uh, the tithe is a tenth. And uh, there's a question here, should the New Testament believer uh, just pay 10%? Well, the tithe is 10%. The word tithe means 10%. Doesn't mean more, it doesn't mean less. And if you uh, were in Hebrews uh, uh, 7th chapter, it would uh, line up and tell you that in this time period, after the law, during this priesthood of Jesus Christ, there has been given a priesthood to him that was given to Melchizedek. And in this, it uh, goes on to say that uh, in verse 8, and here men that die receive tithes. But there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth. Talking about Melchizedek. And as I say, so say Levi also who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. How did he pay tithes? All the Levitical priesthood was in the loins of Abraham. And it says, for he was yet in the loins of his father, there you go, when Melchizedek met him. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need is there that there is another priest should rise up after the order of Melchizedek? Now notice that Melchizedek's priesthood is aside from the law. It is not subject to the law, and it is not invoked, invoked during the law. But after the law, God raises up another priest after the uh, order of Melchizedek and not called after the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed. Somebody say changed. It's changed. Under grace, the priesthood is changed. There is made a necessity of change also of the law. And it says, for he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For there is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah of which the tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident that after the similitude of Melchizedek there ariseth another priest. Now this is Melchizedek and he has a priesthood before the law and now God establishes a new one in the same order after the law. Who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment but after the power of an endless life? And, the, and he testifies that thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannoying of the commandment going before for the weakness and the unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but, but the bringing in of a better hope or another priesthood did by that which we draw nigh unto God. And insomuch as not without an oath he was made priest. For those priests were made without an oath, but this priest with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest after the order of Melchizedek. But so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because that there were not suffered to continue because of reason of death. But this man, talking about Jesus, because he continueth forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto him by God, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made, a, made higher than the heavens who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices for, he, for his own sins, for then, for the people, for this 
he did once and when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests uh, which have an infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the son who is consecrated forever. So we see that the order of Melchizedek received tithe back then and that the new order of the priesthood of Melchizedek should receive a tithe today. Is Jesus less honorable as a priest as Aaron? No, absolutely not. Was he less honorable than Melchizedek? No. Well, the seed of Abraham, while in the loins of Abraham, paid tithe. And so we have to understand that Jesus, in his kingdom, just as Melchizedek uh, required the tithe in order to carry out the commission of God as a high priest, that Jesus receives tithe here in order to carry out his function as high priest upon the earth as well as in heaven. You say, well, I don't know if Jesus gets paid. It has nothing to do with being paid. It has everything to do with our consecration to the acknowledgement of a priesthood that is superior to any priesthood that has ever been honored. And that we, as people, support the kingdom of God through our tithe. And the tithe, the word tithe itself, means 10%. Now, there are three other ways to give unto God. One of them is offerings. Offerings have to do with what we would call honorariums, honoring men and women that come in and deposit something into our life. Or they would, we would offer up offerings in order for projects. Moses was commanded by God to take an offering, not a tithe, an offering from the nation of Israel to build the tabernacle. Now, when, when we do that today, people say, oh, man, I don't think we should do it. Well, the Bible gives us a pattern so that we don't have to think. When you think, you get into problems. Look, just take what God said and live it. And so God said, Moses, take from them. If they want me to dwell here, you take from them an offering. And if they don't want me to, then let them not give, and I won't dwell. Pretty simple. And so that is an offering. And then there is the almsgiving. Almsgiving has to do with ministering to the poor, those that need benevolent help, uh, the widows, the strangers that are traveling through land. Uh, through countries and so forth. That uh, almsgiving has to do with poor, feeding the poor, clothing, and so forth. And that's the uh, alms that Cornelius carried out and was honored by God. And those operations of giving the alms create memorials that God constantly sees. And that's what invoked God to move on the behalf of Cornelius. And then there is what we call the seed. The seed is given to you and I to create increase in our financial life. And that is up to as every man desires in his own self. So you don't have to sow seed, but God gives seed to the sower. And he will withhold seed from those that don't sow. Because a seed given to a man that has no faith or does not release it is simply a seed that has shut off God's hand of provision to the earth. And so God gives us these four ways to give, the tithe, the offering, the alms, and the seed. And so you have those different ways to give. And the tithing is, I believe, the master key to giving. And uh, so as you tithe, then you set your place up that God will open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you cannot contain. Where are you at, Phyllis? I'm up here. Uh, can we uh, pray for this young lady, Pete? She, yeah. Her shoulder's hurting. Well, absolutely. And I want to join everybody. Put your hands just, on her. Everybody just join together and, and let's just yeah, pray for her. Yeah, put your hands on her, darling. We're going to agree honey? with you. Is it your shoulder? Mm -hmm. it, you can't raise it? Okay. A little bit. A little bit. 
Heavenly Father, we just come before you in the name of Jesus. You foul spirit of hell that has come on this woman's shoulder and is causing pain. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus and I command you to loose her and come out in the name of Jesus. Father, I ask you to restore everything that the devil has stolen. Release this shoulder. And Father, we just thank you for the healing power of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Now, honey, lift, it, lift your arm just as much as you can. Okay, is that more than you did before? Okay, now take it down and then do it back. Take it down and take it back. No, don't bend it yourself. You just do it yourself. Bring it up again a little bit more. Yep, take it back down. Bring it back up if you can. Does it, is it hurting? Oh, well, then don't do it. Then just leave it go. But, Father, we just thank you, Father, that yes, she is healed from the top of her head to yes, the soles God. of her feet. And we bind Hallelujah. that devil from coming we back do, on God. this shoulder. We and agree. we loose the Holy Spirit and the power of the Lord to heal this thing in, in Jesus' name. name. Amen and amen. Amen. Now, honey, amen. just work yes. it when you can, okay? All right. Praise God. Who else Alrighty. has a question? Hallelujah. Any other questions? Oh, over there. All right, while they're headed there, let me uh, read this one. This is always, I love this one. Uh, did Jesus go to hell when he died? Well, in one sense, yes, and in a greater sense, no. He didn't lie to the thief, and he said, Today thou shalt be with me. In where? Paradise. Paradise. Now, under the Old Covenant, according to Luke, the 16th chapter, there is this place called hell. But hell is divided. There is a big gulf between the upper regions of the damned and the lower region. This upper region is called paradise, Abraham's bosom. And in it are all of the Old Testament saints, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Job, they're all right here. Why? Because they have not been justified. In other words, their sins have not been washed away by the blood of the Lamb. And the only way to be saved is if you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so, Jesus goes, you've heard, Jesus went and preached to those uh, in the upper region of the damned. That's where Jesus preaches. He doesn't preach over here because, number one, before he bore our sins, he fulfilled the law. Jesus does not become a lawbreaker. And the law in hell is this. No man can come from you to me or me to you. Jesus could not have went to the regions of the damned. Impossible. If he would have crossed over, he could not have returned. There you go. Now, some I people, I've heard them, I mean, I've had guys say, oh, man, God took me to hell, and I saw Jesus being beat, and I saw, I said, really? You went to hell and saw him? Wow, everybody else, Jesus says, saw him beat at the whipping post. Uh, did he redo for you? Well, I'm just, no, no. I said, no, 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 no. You've lost your mind. You're trying to tell me something of a spiritual significance that does not exist. And so, Jesus was whipped at the whipping post. Now, the Bible says, uh, where people uh, preach that Jesus went to hell, they say, well, Jesus suffered for me in hell. No. He suffered for your sins on the cross. Jesus going to hell does not redeem you. The shed blood of Jesus redeems you. And all blood was shed by the time that Jesus got to Calvary. It was shed at the whipping post, on the street, and on the cross. But not one drop was shed in hell. So, well, he was numbered with the transgressors. He was numbered with these people right here. You mean they had sin? Yeah, they weren't justified. But they had faith and they believed. 
in a coming Messiah. And it was attributed unto them to, as it were, a saving grace until the time that Jesus would come. David foretold the story so beautifully in Acts, the fourth chapter, when I saw my Lord in uh, death but not seeing corruption. He sees that, all right? Jesus goes and he preaches to them, and every one of them has to believe that he is the Messiah. Even though he's dead, and even though he's there with them, they have to believe his message just like they had to believe in the temple when he opened the book and said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. They had to believe in that. And they, the ones that believed were resurrected the same day when Jesus was resurrected, and they were seen walking on the streets, John the 20th chapter, and they were seen and they were known as they had been known. And so this is where Jesus goes in hell, but he does not and cannot cannot cross over oh he's god he can do everything really god can't do everything he can't lie he can't break his word he can't change god can't do everything who told you that well i heard well quit hearing this right here is where jesus went he cannot enter here or abraham would have decreed a lie so he could not go there so when it says that Jesus went to hell, he went to paradise, which was a part of the upper regions of hell. But since then, that paradise has been done away with. Now, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And uh, so that's how Jesus went to hell and didn't go to hell. Now, where you at, Phyllis? Yeah, Ron. Uh Pastor, this morning as I was reading in Numbers, uh, uh, the 18th chapter and, and uh, uh, verse 26, uh, I always wondered how the Levites paid tithes, and it, and it explains it here. It says that uh, thus, the, thus speak unto the Levites, and they say unto them, When you take of the children of the Israel the tithes which I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall offer up a heave offering, of the Lord an even ten part of the tithe. So they paid tithes by offering to the Lord. Yes, they paid tithes on the tithe that they had received. And that was their tithe, and that was their acknowledgement of God. You're absolutely right, Ron. Anybody else? Questions, questions, questions. This puts the pressure on me, man. Lily would like to know what you can do to protect yourself when the devil tries to attack you. When the devil attacks, what was that last one? When the devil tries to attack you. So we've had the devil attack our family and we've lost someone and she wants to know how to protect herself when the devil tries to attack you. Well, the Bible does tell us that the devil is going to attack us. And Ecclesiastes says this, that we are to keep on doing the things of faith, giving and sowing, uh, because we never know what evil is going to take place. In other words, the devil attacks us from many fronts at one time. Can we keep the devil from attacking? No. Can we win when he attacks? Yes. See, it's not the attack that brings the defeat. It's us not responding right that brings the defeat. Because the Bible tells us no weapon formed against us shall prosper. But if a weapon is launched against us and we do not respond to that weaponry, then we understand that we are going to be hurt. We're going to be hindered. We're going to be broken. Something is going to happen. But uh, when the devil comes, your greatest defense is to react or respond in faith. Don't wait till it gets so bad that you can't handle it. Don't wait so long that, well, I better handle this because it's really turned into a mess. The other thing is, is that you can. And the devil spoke this about the strongest place of resistance that he ever ran into was the hedge of Job. 
He never said that about any other person or any other uh, stance. But he said, you put a hedge around Job, nobody can get to him. Well, God never put the hedge about Job or God would have been a respect to persons and he would have been doing it to us. Job built the hedge by doing what God commanded him to do. Now remember, Job is the first book in the Bible, so Job is listening to God and convictions, thoughts are coming, and so he does those things. Now his life was that I'm going to make sure that I set out things that protect my children. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this where it really has no evidence that Job had any information from God except being led of God's Spirit and his experiences with moving with God. And so Job one, one time seemed very wise. The next time, he's caught in unbelief. But it's really not unbelief in the way that we have unbelief is because we reject truth. Job is just reaching. And so... Uh, when Job builds his hedge, he builds it by words. He builds it by actions of deeds of obedience. He builds it by consistency. He builds it by judgment of his family and of himself, offering up sacrifices. Be, least his kids had done something that he didn't know. So there were several things that he put in that hedge that the enemy could not get through. So I would encourage everybody, always be planting uh, words about your life, around your life, and for the seed of your life. And then always make sure that you're doing what God wants you to do. You open a doorway of disobedience, you may not be able to keep it from just drowning you. And the other is that you want to make sure that you're constantly judging yourself. The Bible says that in the tillage of a poor man, there's much harvest, but he never reaps it because he never judges himself. And so you can lose what you have because of a lack of judgment. And so we want to do these things, and they will help your head stronger. And it's better, you know, you've heard it, what is it? An ounce of cure is better than a, no, no. An ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. It, yeah, it's, uh, I thank God that uh, people have uh, NyQuil, but I guess it'd be better if you didn't have to take it, Right? And uh, so, uh, but I would do those things, Julie, and begin to plant seeds. Every seed you plant begins to build a root system. You know, I've heard uh, uh, this sometimes, uh, you know, people will get attacked with needs. Man, oh man, he attacked my finances. Well, do you have finances in the bank account? Yes. Well, good. Take care of the need. You don't always have to be bankrupt for God to intervene. God may have blessed you like he did the ant so that you would have something to draw from. So uh, I think that it's important that we live those lives of seed sowing, good confessions, strong confessions, as well as lives of obedience, life of judgment, and life of consistency. I think that those things are going to keep the devil at bay more than most things or responding when he knocks on the door. We are great reactionary people, but we need to be proactive. We need to prepare for the battle before it comes. Amen? Amen. All righty. Phyllisa. Yes, yes. Phil is right over here. Run, darling. Come on, let's see them legs move, 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 move. <laughs> Pastor, you have taught us to, when we sow a seed, to name that seed. If, yes. Or if there's something we're, we're needing or wanting to do and to sow seed towards that, how often do you sow a seed towards that object? There are different or types of different stages of seed. There is, in the Old Covenant, there is a, like a peace offering that you can bring to God. But then, if you go and you don't need peace between you and God, you can transform that seed into a seed of thanksgiving. And so, when we sow seeds, we sow a seed, 
And after we've sown that seed, God, I just sowed the seed of thanksgiving because this is what I asked you to do, and I know that you're faithful to watch over your word. And uh, you, can, you can put seeds in the ground for other people, for yourself. The biggest thing about seed is not the power or the lack of power of the seed. It is the diligence of tending the seed. We are notorious for starting good and failing Tuesday. We, we just got to stop that stuff. And it, look, God is faithful. He doesn't lie. The devil's defeated. All we have to do, having done all to stand, is stand. You got to be consistent. You got to not bend. You got to not bow. And don't take no for an answer. Because God, God's not trying to resist us. Deb, he, look, God is on our side. There's nobody for me more than God. And so I'm never concerned about what God's going to do for me. I'm always concerned about what I'm not going to do with what God has already done. I have got to stay consistent. got to keep my attention on those things that matter. So be consistent. And I'm, I'm just telling you, all it takes is one moment to change anything. How many of you ever drove by a field and you thought, oh, I wonder what they put in that field. Next day you go by... The whole thing's green. You think, how do I, where will that happen? That's how it happens. That's just how fast it happens. So when you give a seed, I always encourage people, and I've given away, I don't know how many books to this congregation. This is a seed book. Write in it, date it, put it down. Even a tree is smart enough to keep record. A tree will tell you where he's been, what season he's been through, whether he went through a drought, whether he went through abundance, you can cut a tree down tell the life of a tree. But Christian people, remember what God said, look at the visible if you want to see how the invisible works. So keep records of your giving. God is faithful. God's faithful. Amen. All right, let me answer this question. Here's, here's one somebody's got. Uh, we, or with all the changes, I guess, with all the changes going on, we keep hearing the word community, relationship. Why is this so important? How many of you know what a community is? What's a community? Fused together, all right, absolutely. It is a band of people of any kind. There is an atheist community rising in America. Uh, you know, come to church at the atheist church and hear stupidity. Uh, Wayne's World reenacted. Uh, a community is a gathering of people of like beliefs. And so that's what the body of Christ is. Uh, it has been known in past centuries as the messianic community. Those that adhere to the Messiah's leadership. And so a community is a group of people that adhere to a certain segment of belief. And we gather around a segment called the Bible. And this is what we believe above everything else. Understand, this is our mission. Hear me? This is our mission. We are not called to do anything else except save the souls of men. Don't get blinded. Don't get fuzzy. This is what we are called to, this right here. Nothing else. We're not called to find new discoveries. We're not called to get rich. We're not called to do this. We're not called to do that. We're called to establish this kingdom of God. That is our only purpose of existence. Oh, but we're supposed to help people. Preach the kingdom. Supposed to love people. Preach the kingdom. Supposed to uh, fight against poverty. Preach the kingdom. We're supposed to stand against abortion, preach the kingdom. See, all the answers that you want, 
that you want to conjure up and think you're smart enough to come up with a plan are all trumped by this. Preach the gospel. Because once God gets in a man, evil is on its way out. But if all we try to do is tend to keeping evil at bay, no, not going to happen. What all that evil needs is that the righteous do nothing. Now, what does the righteous not supposed to do? Don't carry out the commission of righteousness. Isn't it amazing that Jesus come? He didn't get involved in none of that stuff. All he did was preach the kingdom. Paul took that same gospel and changed two-thirds of the known world. If they'd have just been as smart as we were and really took a stand against sin back then, but if Paul would have had a better life, wouldn't he? No. See, you want to have answers. There is only one answer to this world. It is only one answer to evil, to the darkness of man, to the dominion of the devil, to division, to strife, to hatred, to racism. This right here. And if we will live this, then we will change the world. There's a reason that the disciples were known as these are they that have turned the world upside down. They were not involved in anything except gospel things. In fact, Peter and them were challenged. Well, why don't you wait on our widow? And Peter said, we aren't doing that. What God told us to do, that's what we're going to do. And that's what they did. And the word grew mightily. And multitudes, both men and women, were added to the kingdom of God. Think of all of the stuff that you talk about that doesn't mean anything if you changed all those words into sharing the gospel with the lost, how many people would you have brought to Christ? Mm-hmm. Be involved in what's going to change the world, the gospel. Nothing else is going to change the world. Nothing. Nothing is going to change the world but the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen?